Welcome to Faith Church Online. Thank you so much for checking us out. Our prayer is that you are blessed by this message. I get the the honor or the curse, no matter what you want to see this, of talking on physical well-being and physical health. And we've already had Rich this morning saying he was going to sit in the front row with a platter of donuts and just kind of eat them in front of me, which I'm fine with. That's absolutely fine. Um, but before I get into anything, I want to kind of go over what this talk is not going to be and what I hope this will be. So this is not going to be me finger pointing at anyone here. So if you feel like that is what I'm doing, either I'm doing this badly, please come and talk to me. But also maybe if you feel like something I'm saying is challenging you in ways that you really don't like, it might be because there's something in that that you need to go away and think about. But I'm not going to stand here and go, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, or anything like that. Um, this talk is also not going to be me putting out a sales pitch for anything I do at work. I work in the gym, and I know that's one of the reasons why Mike was like, you could do the talk on physical health. You work in the gym. You know everything about physical health. <laughs> and so it's not going to be that either. I'm not going to stand here and, and try and sell the gym to you. But what I am going to do, and I hope I'm going to do, is try and open up from the Bible why focusing on physical health is actually important and why it needs to be put in line with your emotional health and your spiritual health and your mental health and that it shouldn't be put at the bottom of that list. It should be one of the, the many. Um, so hopefully this will encourage you to think about the way you live your life. It encourages me to the way I think about mine. And so we're going to introduce this whole theme um, by framing this physical health idea by telling a little story. And you all know this story. It's the uh, first slide on there from Genesis 1, where God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the birds and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And the important part, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And evening came and morning came and that was the sixth day. Right at the start of the Bible, like the first couple of pages, you're given a story. And this story is intended to explain what God intends us to be and where he intends us to work. The physical world is made by the Spirit, but it is the physical world, and it is made good. God approves of it, and then he specifically marks humanity as A, being his image bearers to everything else, and B, to be responsible for the well-being of the earth and everything else. In the very opening passages, we have already been given an identity and we've been given a birthright and a vocation to be God's reflection in the physical world, to look after it and to look after one another and ourselves. 
because it is made good. So remember that going forward. It is made good. You are made good. And you always have been. But there is an awful lot of language used and books and films and maybe songs as well that suggest that the physical side of Christianity can be ignored because it's all about spiritual stuff and going to heaven. So that why do we care? Because one day we're just going to go away. Who cares? If that was the whole case, if that was 100% of the case, Jesus would not have been bothered to be born as a person. He would not need to die as a person. And really importantly, he would not need to be resurrected into the body again and then share food with his friends. If Jesus' resurrection did not need to be physical, if the physical doesn't matter, then it could have just been, oh, he's a ghost. Cool. But somewhere in the last couple of thousand years since this, we have got a little stuck. We, we tend to think of things in terms of, well, we're here now, and the world is kind of meh, and we're kind of bad. But that's okay, because when we die, we're somewhere else. So who cares about this? Um, at Easter, and then at Pentecost, just after that, heaven overlaps earth. So the spirit is within the earth together with the earth it's not at pentecost the people don't the disciples don't meet god all die and fly away they meet god where they are god shows time and time and time again that the life that you have now is already something that he loves you are beloved of god in your physical body it is a treasure to live in the physical world and while we're in it, you are supposed to be the very reflection of God's whole essence. So don't wait for death before you are transformed, right? Because Christ offered it on the cross and in the world and while you're alive. Don't, don't just go, well, this, this is all cool. And then one, oh, cool, now I'm, now I'm dead. Now I can be transformed. You are right. Those of you who might be thinking, hmm, transformation is in the heart. You're right. If, if your heart is rotten doesn't matter what you look like, but, but your heart should also be reflected on the outside. And what we do then with our bodies carries a lot of importance. Okay, so in Deuteronomy 6, now this is a bit of Old Testament, 6.5, six, are we up there? Yeah. The great commandment comes down. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, good with those, and with all your strength. And they are not talking metaphorically. It is emotional, spiritual, physical. Love the Lord your God with your strength. So what we do with our body counts. We are made good. So our health has to, has to matter. If it doesn't matter, there is something wrong with how we see the living God. All right, so remember, you are loved, you are unique, and your physical body is important to God. So, part one, I am made good, so what? So, if you're scratching your head right now, you might be. You might just be listening away happily. You might wonder which New Testament verses talk specifically about how you treat your body. Some of you might know them. Some of you might be going, no, it's all about emotions and being nice to each other. We're going to skip the Old Testament now. New Testament, though, I've got three verses for you. The first one is Romans 12, verse 1, and this is really loaded with goodness. 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's important, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, that is a loaded statement. Now, Paul is addressing Rome. So there is some context here, but it kind of widens out. The Romans, everything they did, they believed had some tie to whatever god they were worshipping. We now live in a culture where there's the physical and then there's the spiritual, and they should not meet. Sometimes they do in church, but in the world, mm. This is not how the Jews saw things. It's certainly not how the Romans saw things. Spiritual and physical live in constant overlap. You cannot separate the two. So, for instance, in warfare, the Romans, when they go to war and they're full of fury and anger, they genuinely would believe that that is the god Mars filling their ranks. And if they won, then clearly they were doing something right. So when Paul's talking to the Romans who are becoming Christians, it would be stupid of him to go ignore ignore what you do with your bodies. God doesn't care. He knows that God really does care, and he's flipping it around. He's saying rather than earning with your bodies your God's favor so that when you are successful, you know you've done right, because of Christ's death, which is what makes you right in view of God's mercy, because you know God loves you, then you should have a response with your bodies. Because Christ loves you and died for you, you go, well, the, the simplest and first thing I can do is, what do I do with myself? Offer yourselves body first. Because everything you do is with your body while you're alive. Every single thing you do when you're singing. We, we kind of sing. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's physical. Offer your bodies first. Paul understands this. What you do with your body, it counts, and it affects your surroundings. It affects the people around us. And he knows how easy it could be to kind of fall back on this and start having no self-control and be slaves to our passions, something the Romans knew quite well as well. They loved that. Their god Dionysius was all about wine and feasting and madness. That's one of the, the gods. So he knew these things existed. And so he's going, guys, if you're in Rome, be wary. Offer your bodies first. Every day when you get up, you know first and foremost what you do with your body is going to count. God loves you. He died for you. This is the first step. Now, today, we don't really talking of things in terms of the gods of, but we do have many things that the Romans in particular would understand as being like gods. We are free, especially in the West, to go out and party and buy and go mad and feast and go crazy. More so now than in any other time in recorded history, we have the means to just go out and go wild. And you are encouraged all the time to buy and buy and buy and buy with no thought to how this serves anyone but yourself. Because the pursuit of the individual has now become paramount over the pursuit of, of something else. And we are starting to see the consequences of this kind of living. And one of these problems is that you are, not you, <laughs> we as a culture are now are encouraged to serve our bodies rather than serve with our bodies. And if we as a church are going to have a global impact again, we need to lead the way. And if our lives are defined by excess goods and excess money and excess drink and food and madness, that is not going to lead the way to a positive future. It's just going to be the same as everything else. It's no good saying, but, but, but I sing songs and I pray. That's, well, I mean, it is some good, but if, if that's the only distinction between you 
and someone that has no belief in anything but wealth and status and sex and food and power, it's going to kill the world and it's going to affect you anyway. There needs to be more than this. So verse 2, otherwise I'll be going on forever. Uh, verse 2 is actually in Matthew and Luke in chapter 4, and it's something that I want to talk to you about for ages and finally managed to get in there. And it's the temptation in the desert, specifically the second one. So it goes like this. Jesus ate nothing all that time, like 30 days, 40, 40, sorry, sorry. <laughs> then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. I've wanted to talk about the whole temptations for ages, and I've never managed to really make it fit. The question has always been, why should Jesus not eat something? If you have not eaten for a long, long time, you're going to die. So food is not a bad thing to have. It's not immoral. It is essential. God made food. God made the world. It is good. So why should he not eat? eat. And it's actually because food is not the issue in this passage. The issue here is what is he going to serve and what is he going to do with all his power and potential? Now, and so I put that to you, what are you going to serve with all your power and potential? Because if Jesus says, oh yeah, I can just do what I want, it makes a feast. The feast is not specifically the problem. It's the giving in to self-serving behavior. And obviously, whether you have the only a tiny bit of influence or whether you have global religious significant influence, if you serve yourself, things will not go well down the line. If you serve something other than you, things might go better. And that's really the issue here. Now, if I'm honest, I will frequently fall slave to my hungers. I love to eat food. Rich sent me a picture last night as a bit of a joke. He was, you were at McDonald's, is that right? And I was like, hey, look, in preparation for your talk, here's a picture. And I almost, I almost took a picture of what I was about to eat to send it back because what I was about to eat was a pizza with about four different kinds of cheese on it. So I am not the paragon of physical perfection. I have... I have this issue as well. I frequently want to satisfy my desires, and they're usually unhealthy and unnecessary and wasteful. So what message am I going to give to people who don't know me that well, but know that I go to church and know I do these things if I'm walking around and I'm just satisfying myself? If I'm just buying and eating like everybody else, what is that going to say to them? Because it probably won't say to them, wow, that Christianity, that's really something. It's probably just going to say, well, that's kind of like these other beliefs I could do, so I'll just do one of them. I'll try that one, but meh, I could do something else. There's nothing different in that. And this self-serving ideal, it is a false idol. The Old Testament would call it a false god, and it needs to be snuffed out. And obviously, this is not going to happen all immediately, but bit by bit by bit, we need to be aware that we might be and I use strong language here, slaves to food and drink or parties or other passions and desires. And I know that sometimes I am, and it cannot satisfy me, only in the short term. Long term, I feel terrible. It cannot satisfy. It is a false god. So the next verse I pulled out of the New Testament is Galatians 5. Now, you probably all know this one quite well. It's verse 16 to 22, and it says, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's not the whole thing. Am I? Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are quite clear. 
And here's the big list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, that's a big one, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. But the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's the big one. We all love the first eight, and then someone goes, self-control, and we go, that's not sexy, is it? Self-control isn't sexy. I've never seen a rock star or a poster or a song or a book sell itself on self-control. Control yourselves. There's no songs about that. And you've, heard it, you've probably heard it said by people that you see are, are trying to be wise. Everything in moderation, but I wonder how many times you've actually seen people live like they meant it. Genuinely meant it. Like moderation, self-control. Uh, that kind of thing, though, Paul understands this. It can bring longevity. It can bring structure. It can bring security. It can bring like, greater life potential, especially if this is, this is self-control in your diet and your health and the way you treat your body. So, first things first, submit your bodies first as a living sacrifice to God, so that you may serve him and live by his very word, and so that you can then have self-control over your body and your mind and your heart and your, and your strength. But that's not everything. Like That's just the, the verses. And the part two of this talk is about being guarded, because there are good and bad things that come along with the pursuit of health. So from, oh, from probably the dawn of time, human beings have been fascinated by a couple of polar opposites. The first one is physical perfection. We're still fascinated by it now. People were fascinated about it 3,000, 4,000 years ago. They would model their whole societies based on the perfection of the king or the gods. People have been fascinated by physical perfection forever. But the opposite of that, that we're also kind of fascinated by, and it makes us feel uncomfortable, but we are, is physical destruction. And in this case, I want to kind of focus on the destruction that comes from excess food, drink, and excess idleness. Now, both demand these things. They both demand high levels of extremes, uh, but in totally opposite directions. Um, so you may know in church it is very common to hear us talk about getting you know, your emotional life and your relationships and your work and things like that in order. But when someone starts talking about the body, we tend to shy away. We kind of go, mm, nah, that's going to make me uncomfortable. Um, that's not for us. I don't think I have ever, ever heard a sermon talk about gluttony, ever. You might have, but I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about it. Because as soon as you bring up that, you know, and I know, I will go, hmm, yeah, okay, that's something that I kind of pretend isn't a problem. And I know this is why people don't talk about it, because too many people are going to go, uh. uh. It's very easy to talk about the problems of unhealthy sex and smoking and unhealthy drinking, the dangers of fame-seeking. But I do kind of now want to bring up the dangers of the pursuit of excess food. Now, hold your breath. That's fine. But if you want a balanced life and that one that has the greatest likelihood of wellness, we can't neglect your physical health, but nor should you pursue it ruthlessly. So... The next verse I have, oh, it is from the New Testament. I lied. Colossians 3, um, 3 and 5. Your old self has died, and your new life is kept with Christ in God. 
So put everything evil out of your life. And verse 5, and don't keep wanting more and more for yourself, which is the same as worshipping false gods. So, something's beeping. (gasps) Sorry, don't worry, don't worry. I wondered if it was me. Now, earlier on we sang a song uh, that said, you know, you are alive in us, nothing can take your place. And I want you to hold these two things together for the rest of this. Don't keep wanting more for yourself, which is the same as worshipping a false god. That's, that's the command, that's the part of Colossians. And then the songs we sing, nothing can take your place, because I know very often I don't live by that, but I'll sing it. If you're going to walk a Christian life, and if you're really up for transformation, then we might need to wake up a bit more. Your life is now in God, and your task now is to seek after him more, and after your own self-satisfaction less. His gain, our loss. It's very uncomfortable. We don't like it. So, so here we go. Uh, there's the old gods of beauty. The ancient Greeks believed that perfection could not be found in human form, so they designed their statues so like amalgamation of what they considered physical perfection. And they would compliment each other and say, you look like a statue. Oh, perfect. Um, so as a counterpoint to this, Paul will then go on to warn the emerging church. And this is why some of these verses will make sense in this context. Don't overdress yourselves. Dress yourself in ways that, don't, that doesn't draw attention to yourself. I.e., he's saying, don't set your lofty goals and sights on only being physically perfect and desirable, particularly if it's at the expense of the rest of your character and your relationship with Christ. Now, today, these old gods of beauty, they're alive and well. They're still around. You look at magazine covers, music videos, YouTube stuff. Go to the gym floor. Just go to the gym floor when it's busy and look in the weights area. Look at how many of the guys are basically shirtless, staring at themselves. There's a vast following of men and women. And and we are taught to believe that if we sort this part out, if we can look like a god... And if we can get all the money and all the women or whatever it is in the world, then life will be good. And there'll be happiness and success and blah, 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 blah. And everything will be yours. But this is really unbalanced. Like, if you're only after material gain and physical perfection, you will eventually push out other things. And it's really unbalanced. And you might end up being a shallow, possibly depressed, sad version of what you could have been if that's all you're after. Now, there's nothing wrong with being in good shape at all. But your life has to have a firmer foundation. Just like there's nothing wrong with being successful at all. There's nothing wrong with being good at things. But there has to be other things. There needs to be relationships, emotional and spiritual health. If God is within, then if you look like a God without, that's okay. But if there is nothing within you, there's no point pursuing physical stuff. And this doesn't just apply to being super ripped like a superhero. This is all kind of comes into how you groom yourself, how you dress yourself. Because that is also physical, how people see you, how you see yourself. Like, if though, behind all that, there is a humble and loving nature of the spirit, you're okay. You're okay. But it needs to come with God first. Now, because of course, Paul says, put these things out of your life. Don't keep wanting more for yourself. You have God. That should be your first thing. If you keep wanting more for yourself, that is a hole that cannot be filled just temporarily, and then you're back to square one. Now, we also have this new thing, these new gods of neglect. Perhaps you don't aspire to physical perfection. Perhaps, in fact, the very idea of physical fitness or exercise or that 
is kind of repulsive to you. Now, you might genuinely resent this as, a, as, a, as an idea. Um, and there might be a couple of reasons why. You might feel like because, and this is not me being sarcastic, oh, because you are genuinely loved by your family and your friends, then how about this quote? I'm fine just as I am. I'm loved just as I am, so I will not change. Or perhaps there is another thing that's kind of creeping in. It has been for the last, I'm going to say, 10 years. The idea of physical health has now been kind of, as, or challenging people on their physical health can now be labeled fat shaming. Yeah, maybe, fat shaming. So, and it will encourage you to say, no, 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 no. Don't, don't tell me to change any aspect of myself. That is shaming me, that is offensive to me. Get out of my face. Because if you see encouragement to be healthy as an attack on the essence of who you are, it's not surprising you'd be offended. But that's not actually, well, hopefully, that's not actually what this is all about. Now, I know the first of these two things very well. Uh, or if I'm resentful, I'll eat. If I'm angry, I'll eat. If I'm down and upset, I'll eat. If I'm stressed, I'll eat. Um, when I, when <laughs> I just, any, any excuse, any excuse. Uh, when, I, when I was at university, I, there was a girl I liked, and she was definitely not the right girl for me, but hey, who cares? Who, you know, I, was, I was 19, I knew everything. Um, and I was really stressed about it, and, and, I, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to eat and be disgusting, and I was really disgusting at university. Um, but I was really upset about this, and I kind of got into this mindset where I was like, I'm gonna, I wanted to neglect the, even the idea of changing aspects of myself in order to maybe draw this person's attention. That's not the reason you should change aspects of yourself. Um, and I wanted to just be happy being unhealthy, and I was much heavier, and I, I had really long hair that was really tangled and knotted, and I never really washed it or cut it. It was, it was yeah, see, you're all going, ugh. Um, I dressed really badly. Now, I don't dress really well, but I was just sweatpants constantly, all the time. It was a chaotic dream. It was awful. But I wasn't happy at all. I wasn't even content. I was lazy and I was angry and I was kind of angry at myself, but I kind of wanted to be angry at other things instead. And I actually needed help. And annoyingly, when you're at university, actually for a man, often help doesn't take the form of real help. It takes the form of kind of self-destructive therapy. Like, come on, man, let's go out and get drunk and, you know, and just smash ourselves and be lazy and it'll make you feel better. And it will make you feel better a little bit for, for the short term. But very often I was kind of around people that was like, seek oblivion rather than this much more frightening idea of changing things. And you might know how that feels. You might still know how that feels. Uh, I've fallen into kind of both these these situations of self-neglect and neither of them helps. Uh, I, I've kind of pretended to wish I could self-destruct rather than face change. Um, but at the same time, I, I wanted to wish, I wanted to be loved just as I am. But it's not actually because I wanted to have a real adult relationship. I just wanted to be affirmed in my negative behaviors to be told that what I'm doing is fine because I love you, so you're fine, awesome. I was refusing to face up to stuff. And I was actually confusing bad advice with love, and that's not the same. Because loving someone, as I hopefully a lot of you guys will know, is not the same as being supportive of someone in any behavior that they undertake. Because behavior that will harm themselves later on, even if trying to tell them that gets you a slap in the face, 
if you just ignore that, do you really love that person? Really? Because I guarantee you, I, oh, I hope, any parents here, you see your kid do something dangerous, you're not just going to go, oh, let them explore there, so it's fine. You'll go, no, 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 no. And you can be mad at me for, for saying it, but that's going to be dangerous sometime down the road, or immediately. So if you're in a loving relationship with someone, and they will probably love you basically you know, however you are, because they love you, it's unconditional. God shows his love in, in Christ on the cross when Christ dies for us, as we are. Christ die, loves us as you are. It's unconditional. But there's then this idea that, and you will be reborn, and you will change. See, when I was at university, I needed friends, and I, now I need a wife who is not like me, who can get me out and about and challenge me on things. And let's get wrong. Blah, 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 blah. What have I got? I've lost myself. There we go. Um, true love will challenge you to change in ways that will be beneficial to you. Things that are not true love will tell you that you're fine just as you are, which means you don't have to do anything to improve your life. That is not good, and it will not end well down the line. And it will be very hard to hear it. You might cause fights, but it is not healthy, and it's not loving to tell someone that if you genuinely believe that something they're doing is dangerous. God doesn't do it. God never does it. He tells people to stop doing things all the time, and they keep rejecting him, and he keeps coming back, and they keep rejecting him, and he keeps coming back. Because um, we, uh, hang on, I'm going to skip that. So if we love each other, we need to tell each other the truth. And in Matthew 22, um, Jesus talks to the Pharisees, and he asks them what the greatest commandment is, and then he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, with all your mind and strength. Done that one. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This verse comes right after Jesus declares to the astonishment of the crowd that God is the God of the living, not the dead. He's bringing God into the physical world as we speak. And as long as you live, God is your God, and he loves you. And if we live in God... We must love one another. Now, how can we claim to love if we do not challenge each other to have fuller, healthier lives? Your physical health is a massive component of a full life, one that is submitted to God and not one that falls into the worship of these false ideas. Paul in the New Testament doesn't want anyone to pursue physical perfection. I don't want anyone to think, therefore, that it's also okay to pursue being unhealthy and to never exercise, and to never eat well. Because far from treating any problems in your life, it will possibly create more. So balance is found when all the aspects of physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, mental health are working together in the right direction for the right and deeper cause. So we need to, as a church that cares, agree that a life spent treating our bodies badly is unacceptable. I would say sinful, but I don't mean that in a way that is that you're a bad person. I just mean it is not, it's, it's not good enough. It's missing something. So you might go, okay, that's great, cool. But now what? Now what? And this is where I'm going to wrap up. There's a few things I want us to think about. The first thing, really, before any changes are made, is you, we need to acknowledge individually and collectively that physically being healthy is actually vitally important, and disregarding it is not acceptable. 
Um, so if you've, you've got to that point, cool, right, brilliant. The second thing you might want to do then is honestly look at yourself. And I don't mean in a way that says, oh, I hate myself. I don't mean that. I mean honestly look at yourself and ask yourself a couple of questions. And the first one is, in the way that I move my body, feed my body, treat my body, use my body, am I serving in the full glory of God? Or am I either serving myself or neglecting myself? Now, if that doesn't apply to you, cool. Then possibly ask yourself the following question. Who do I know that really needs my support and my help to make a difference to their physical health? Because if we who can sort this out don't support others who can't quite get there on their own, then there is no point us going, oh, complaining about bad health. There will be people here who really want to change but cannot do it on their own because they either don't know how or they're not confident. If you know someone who's like that, don't just say, sort yourself out. There needs to be more than that. It's too hard to do some of these things on our own. Now, there's another thing that you might want to do. It's changing a negative identity that you may have wrapped yourself in. So I talked about university. I was unhealthy. I was greasy. I was lazy. I had a terrible work ethic, really bad. But I'd, that, was, that was who I said I was. I'd wrapped myself in that identity. And I was like, and this has to be fine. And it wasn't fine. Um, and there's something that very often men do it. I know women do it, but men do it a lot. And it's kind of joke at one another's expense. Now, I don't mean there should be never any jokes at each other at all. But if, if your identity is, is the funny, unhealthy one, or the funny, fat one, or whatever it is, and that's who you think you are, and then you make jokes at your expense, and other people make jokes and you laugh at them, this is, all this is doing is, is compounding a negative identity. So what you can do is, if that's you, and it might not be able to do it with everyone, but you need to first kind of go, I don't want to do that. I need to stop joking. I need to stop pretending I'm the funny, happy one if I'm not. And if you are that person's friend, then you need to stop laughing at their jokes or you need to stop joking at them or whatever it might be. That might not be the best example, but you may know what I'm driving at. And the final one is that we need to acknowledge that there are consequences to, to this. In the beginning, the world was made and God said that it was good. In Psalm 24, the psalmist states again that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are killing the world. It's really not negotiable unless you're a bit nuts. If, you, if we can't agree that consuming too much both individually and collectively, is unwise and it's bad for both us and the world, and you need to wake up to the truth that the rich countries in the world eat too much and waste too much, and the effects of this are going to damage the very earth we live in. And it might not damage it when you're alive, but when your grandkids are alive and their kids, this is not uh, it's like a, not a joke, this is genuinely serious, and it's all because we have become self-serving, greedy people who don't seem to see that the consumption of food and drink and goods is a bad thing. It might not be a bad thing once, but it's becoming untenable, that's the word. Stop wasting food, stop the gluttony, stop the idleness, it wastes energy. 
and we need to stop buying and buying and buying and buying until there is nothing left. Because the earth is the Lord's, the world and all who live in it. Now Jesus in his last declaration in the desert, he states the following, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. With the forgiveness in the cross as your foundation and the spirit of God within us and here who can pull us forward into that good fruit, that patience and self-control, we can actually really start moving forward to serve only him over ourselves. But we have to do it collectively. If I do it but no one else does, it's not going to be enough. And, and finally, you need to know that you're loved um, by people here, by God who showed his love for you and gave up his life for you. And in that truth, I want to challenge you to really start thinking about using your bodies to serve him and others and not using your bodies to give yourself satisfaction. A little bit's fine, but not all the time. Don't let yourself and others waste away. These are not true ideas. They will hurt us.